is Mark. We're going to read Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 37, page 843. And from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a side of Phoenician by birth. And she, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, but it is not right to take the children's bread and threw it to the dogs. But she answered, that she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ear and after the spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephata, that is, be opened. And his, he, and his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Ask God to help us. So we have the pleasure now to come before his word. Want to hear from him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are a, commuting, a communicating God, you are living and active, you're speaking and you're working even today, even here, and we thank you that we have your great promises that as we study your word and hear your word, Lord, you are relating to us and, and we pray your spirit would be here with us. Richly open our eyes, our minds, our ears to you, I pray and I ask, Lord, that you'd help me to teach this passage faithfully and that each one of us way down deep at the level of the heart, the fullness of our minds, we would understand you and what you mean to say to us, and we would respond the way you would draw us to respond, and that we would be thrilled that we get to have Jesus. And we pray this in his name, amen. So maybe you noticed at first glance, it seems like we just encountered some of the most offensive words in the Bible. A woman asked Jesus to heal her daughter, Jesus, perhaps, seems to respond irritably, and then with an insult, actually calling her a dog. That is troubling to us. 
Uh, one of the commentaries I read this week mentioned a scholar who worked from this passage and actually said that Jesus sinned here in his interaction with this lady. And I guess we ought to ponder that for a moment. Because if Jesus sinned here, if he is influenced by the evils of his cultural moment, just like everyone else, then we should all leave. <laughs> we, should, we should go somewhere else and do something else. I'll look for a new job on, and uh, find a place to go hunting on Sunday mornings or something. Uh, because if Jesus sinned, Jesus cannot die for your sins. There's no hope to be found in Jesus if he sinned. So what are we supposed to do with this? Well, I, I hope as we take these detail, the details of this passage a little more seriously, we'll see that, of, of course, Jesus did not sin here. And it's not really the point of the passage, but I want to mention something just for a minute. Have you ever asked, why do we have a value set in our day and age that gets offended when the dignity of women is disrespected? Where did that come from? Because I can assure you it's not part of the pagan world of Jesus' time. <laughs> no one would have been offended at all. Uh, Rodney Stark is just one historian who asserts that it was Christianity itself that inspired this value of the dignity of women in Western culture. He actually says uh, most early Christians were, guess who? They were women. And, and he says the reason for this, or at least a reason for it, is when the circumstances of pagan and Christian women are compared, the wonder is that all of the women in the Roman Empire didn't flock into the church. So in other words, the church in a thousand ways, which I can't go into now, they showed women incredible dignity and honor in a way that the Roman culture around them never did. And so it is a little ironic, right? I mean, we have to slow down. Before we judge Jesus too quickly, using a value that we wouldn't even have without him, if you know what I'm saying. No, that, that value that we have is due to Jesus and his influence on the world. Having said that, the big issue in this text isn't so much that this woman is a woman. The issue is that this woman is a Gentile. And did you, did you see how Mark pointed that out? He mentions lots of cities, Syrophoenician woman. He's, he's really emphasizing here Jesus is interacting with a Gentile. And we know that in Jesus' time, religious Jews found Gentiles to be unclean, right? They're, they're pagan idolaters. Their lifestyles are dirty. Their practices are dirty, unclean. And, and even the idea is if we encounter them, we become ceremonially unclean. Keep them away, right? Due to those human distinctions. And so the question of this text is, what can these unclean people have to do with Jesus? So we're continuing our study through the book of Mark, working right through it. Uh, that's why we come to texts like these. You may notice, I guess, in some places, they, you, you might say, I've never heard this text before. That's because if you're going to come up with a text, what do you want to preach on this, on this Sunday? No one's ever like, ooh, that one. <laughs> it's too hard. But that's how we roll here at Fountain of Life, right? What do we preach next? The next text. And, and what do we see? We remember, we're studying through Mark. Mark was in Rome. Who's he writing to? A Roman audience. He's writing to a Gentile audience. He's writing to Gentile Christians who are being persecuted under Caesar Nero for their faith in the Jewish Messiah. And Mark especially wants them to know their place with Jesus through faith in him. He wants them to know it. 
So here's the, the real question of this text. Is there any human distinction that can disqualify you from having all of Jesus? That's the question. And so then we, we ponder our hearts here a little bit. Have you ever had the thought, I'm too dirty for Jesus because... I've had that thought. Uh, the human heart can plug a lot of things into that space, right? What, what makes you just unfit for Jesus to notice you, care about you, love you? What is it that would cast you out? Obviously, my sin, I deserve that. But, but also the human heart, we, we do other things too. I, I'm not, am I really successful enough? Am I good enough? Were you good enough parent? Or what about some, something someone did to you? can make you feel outcast, too dirty, or maybe it's just, I don't know. But that's, that's the question of this text. Is there any human distinction that just can disqualify you from having all of Jesus? Gender, race, experiences. We think of ourselves. We ask that question. We also think of others, too. Isn't it easy, especially in this angry day and age, to have a group of people where you think, ugh, those people, they're the problem with our culture, with our world, with our nature, whatever, or with our nation. And then you, you kind of assume, Ugh, you know, how would you feel if those people came into church, those people for you, whoever that is, how would you feel if they came into church with a sincere interest in Jesus? Would your heart be cold for that, towards them due to some human distinction? It's an important question, isn't it? That's what the text is taking on today. So what makes someone qualified to come to Jesus or not? So I'm going to do three things together, and then we'll look, take the Lord's Supper. Number one, some background seems important for this passage. Number two, then we're going to see how to come to Jesus. He's going to, Jesus will show us. And then number three, all because of who he is. So that's what we're looking at. Background, how to come to Jesus, all because of who he is. Background. Last couple of weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' debate with the religious leaders of his day. Been here with us, you remember that? And the issue was what makes someone clean or not, right? We're not talking about hygienic cleanness. We're talking about spiritual cleanness. What makes you fit to be in God's presence? And the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were all about the tradition of the elders. And so there's all these religious practices, all these external things, these washings, keeping the rules, eating the right food. You see that in the beginning of chapter 7. We spent two weeks on that text, didn't we? And we saw how what Jesus said just radically undoes all of their expectations. What's the core issue, the core problem for every single human being ever? Did you see it? It's their heart. It, it's, it's what I love. So my biggest problem, fundamentally, Jesus says, is me. I love the wrong things. I don't love the right things. I love the right things in the wrong way. I have a heart problem. Evil comes out of my heart. So that really does kind of put us all on the same playing field, doesn't it? We all have sinful, rebellious hearts, and only Jesus can change the heart. That's what we looked at last week. But it is fascinating to realize in context, right, that after this conversation about cleanliness, Jesus goes on this long field trip, and it is long. It's like 120 miles Long field trip to the places these religious leaders would have considered to be the most unclean places of all. He's going to the cities of the Gentiles. 
right after this discussion on what makes you clean, he goes to the cities of the Gentiles. Modern day Lebanon, you see it in Mark 7, 24. Tyre and Sidon, if you know your Bibles. Who's from Sidon? You remember uh, Jezebel? Colorful character, you can read about her in the Old Testament. But that's, that's kind of the vibe, right? She's, she's pagan, she worships other gods, she does despicable practices. It's a pagan place. They reject the God of the Bible, they believe and do all these dirty things, and a re- religious Jew would see them as unclean. That's where Jesus goes. So wh- why, does he, why does he take this trip? You see an answer from one perspective in verse 24. He entered a house and didn't want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. You think of things from Jesus' human perspective, right? You've got the tension with the religious leaders of Israel is rising. There's crowds massing around him always. And so it seems maybe part of the motivation is it's a little bit of a break. He can have a little more anonymity, and especially he can focus in on teaching his disciples. But as usual, Jesus can't be hidden, can he? He shines like a light. Cannot be hidden. So from, that's, from one perspective, he, he wants some, some time out. But from another perspective, you get a precursor to what's actually literally going to change the world. It's, it's going to shock the world. You and I are so used to it, but it's going to shock the world. The Gentiles are going to come in mass to trust in and believe the Jewish Messiah. And so we see a precursor of it. That's our background. Now the question, what makes you qualified to come to Jesus? So we get to meet this woman. Mark worked really hard to show you. She's a Gentile whose background is paganism. God only knows what she has done and seen and had done to her in that pagan context. It would not be pretty. And you see the fruit of the paganism in her family. It's tragic. It's terrible. Her daughter has an unclean spirit. But then there's that theme again, right? Unclean, a demon. But we also see this lady has had about enough of paganism. She has had about enough of paganism. Her paganism has not helped her at all. And in verse 25 here, she has heard of Jesus. Wouldn't you love to know more details? I would love to know more details. But she's heard of Jesus, and he comes, or, and she comes to him. And, you know, if you cheat a little bit and read Matthew's account of this story, it, it kind of blows your mind. Look at Matthew 15, 22. Matthew's account of the same story. And behold, a, what? A Canaanite woman. If you know your Bibles, Canaanites, unclean, do not love God or his ways, worthy of wrath. A Canaanite woman came from that region and was crying. But what a Canaanite. I mean, what a Canaanite. Look what she's yelling. Have mercy on me. What does she call Jesus first? Oh, Lord. And then she calls him son of David. This Canaanite lady is a theologian. And she's a better theologian than all of the religious leaders of Israel. She believes in the idea of a Messiah, God's promised king. That's what son of David means. She believes that is Jesus and that he's Lord. Incredible. And so she's saying, right, if you're here right now 
you must have something for the Gentiles. If you're here right now, you must have something for the Gentiles. And so she pleads, right? And she falls at his feet and the, the tense of the verb shows that she keeps asking. There was a long converse, longer conversation than what we get here, but she's at his feet pleading, asking, hey, Jesus, son of David, you can do it. Save my daughter. Well, here's where things get challenging, right? And we get really what is just a, a incredible conversation between Jesus and this remarkable wo- woman. It happens in two fascinating verses. Look at verse 27. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So Jesus, as, a, as a, um, a rabbi and a teacher of his time, is using, generally speaking, terms of the day, and everybody knows who he's talking about, familiar language in his Jewish culture, who are the children of God. Israel, right? Sons and daughters of Abraham, God will save by grace. And in his culture, what do the Pharisees tend to call the Gentiles especially? Tend to call them dogs because they're unclean. For the most part, dogs were vicious scavengers on the street. They eat trash and, oh, it's an insult, right? Even today, nobody, I guess you can say it like a friend. Hey, you're my, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to try to be hip. I'm going to leave that alone. But, and this is where, uh, this is one of those texts where the comment. The commentaries really help you. A little more distinction really helps you. He's, he's using a very strange word for the word dog here. It's not the normal street, ver- street vermin dog word. It has probably the connotation of a small dog that would be a family pet. So it's, it, he's kind of fitting in with cultural expectations, and yet he's not at the same time. And he talks about, I mean, we don't like children, dogs, oh, we don't like that. But he does talk about children being fed first and then pets being fed. So she leaves, or he leaves her an open door in a way here. He's testing her. He's, uh, what does he mean? Well, we see Jew first and also the Greek many, many times as we read the New Testament, don't we? Many, many times. What's going on? Uh, Two things. Why Jew first and also the Greek when it comes to Jesus? Well, number one, it's an issue of chronology. Jesus is the Christ, the promised son of David, the, the king, the king of Israel. And so God has made promises to Israel that Jesus must keep, and Jesus needs to do that first. But it's not just an issue of chronology, it's also methodology. Methodology. Friends, wasn't it always the plan that the nations would know the grace of God through the grace of God first received by Israel? You remember Abraham's call? Look, Genesis 12. Abraham, right? You read in Galatians, if you have faith, it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. If you have faith, you're a child of Abraham. Look at this idea, Genesis 12, that's supposed to be one. Now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. Verse three, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, 
Who? All the families of the earth will be blessed. So this blessing is God's undeserved love. And the way it comes is God's going to show his undeserved love to Israel. And then as they receive his grace, they are going to portray that undeserved love to the nations. That's always been the plan. So Jesus, Jesus gives her an open door. He basically, he tells her this parable, I can't not feed the kids because I'm feeding the pets. It's kind of how it comes across. I got to feed the kids first using cultural language of his day. But I imagine a pause here because this lady, Mark is showing you, she hears Jesus and understands what he's saying, and then she expands on it. She's really something. She says, verse 28, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. So he's been saying, I got to feed Israel first, then the nations, and she says, There's food for me right now because I'm sitting at the table. It's incredible. Uh, Number one, she doesn't get offended by Jesus like modern readers or like the Pharisees or like the people of Jesus' hometown or even John the Baptist, right? You read the Gospels, they all get offended by Jesus at some point. Not this lady. What does she say? She says, yes, Lord. I mean, you're seeing something that's, that's really incredible here. You're seeing humble faith from the most unexpected person you could find. And she's bold in asking for mercy. Commentator James Edwards says, she uses a different word for children than Jesus used. His word for children was more like you'd think of it, direct descendant. And her word has, can have the, the implication of like a household. It has broader boundaries. And so she takes what he said and she, she pushes it a little further. She's very sharp. She imagines this meal, if you will, of God's grace coming to the family. And he says, I got to feed the kids first. And she says, hey, look, even when you feed the kids, they drop some and the pets get to eat too. Right then, they don't have to wait. That's what she says to him. You're, she's basically saying, you're the Messiah and you're so good and you're here right now and there's enough of you to save my daughter right now. It's amazing. She, seems, she's, she understands what he says. She understands he's saying it's Israel first, but she's also saying, I know the blessing's gonna come to the nations and I'd, I'd like to eat some right now. Just like the crumbs spill off the table for the pets. Let, let me, heal my daughter. And, it, and does, does she argue based on her own deserving? Does she ever say, hey, I'm not that bad of a Gentile? What's the basis of her argument? It's his goodness. It's his goodness. It's his grace. It's his abundance. There's enough of you for me. You're so good. There's enough of you for me. And this is amazing. She has a strong and a powerful, humble faith. And so we see Jesus' response, verse 29. He said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. And that's a way for a rabbi to say something like, wow, lady, you've really got this. It's, it's, it's a sense of Jesus' delight, his amazement at her and what she understands and her faith. And look at what Jesus says. Matthew records Jesus saying this, Matthew 15, 28. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, 
What's the next phrase? Great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. Jesus is delighted by her humble, bold faith in him and his mercy. So honestly, it, it, it blows your mind that a careful reader could think that Jesus or Mark is demeaning women or Gentiles from this text. It really blows your mind. Because our, do you see, in the ancient world where this woman would have no right or privilege, the apostles of all people are showing her to be way ahead of the Jewish religious leaders. They reject Jesus, not her. She's the one who sees and believes. Not only that, she's shown to be ahead of the disciples. They never get a parable right away. <laughs> and they showed you that she did. They showed you that she did. Incredible humility. Incredibly countercultural. And Mark is saying to his Gentile audience who might think, oh, we were so lost in paganism. Can Jesus really love us? Mark is saying to his Gentile audience, you better believe he completely loves you because the, the way to come to Jesus and have all of him is humble faith, period. Period. Doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or what's happened to you or anything, X, Y, and Z, A, B, C. If you come to Jesus with humble faith, He's yours. He is yours. I love that story. He will give you all of himself. Verse 30, well, she's done with her paganism, and she goes home and finds that her child is healed. Her child is healed, and I'd like to chat with her in heaven someday, wouldn't you? Wow. And this is all because of who Jesus is. We've seen the background, how to come to Jesus. You come with humble faith, all because of who Jesus is. We'll keep going, verse 31. He returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon, Sea of Galilee, in the region of the Decapolis. It's more Gentile territory. They brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. Still Gentile territory. They ask him to touch him, and Jesus does something that's somewhat unusual. Um, even just in the last story, did Jesus have to do any rituals or touching to get the demon out? No, he does it from a distance. Have you ever pondered what this, how do you do this? How do you know who the girl is, what the problem is, and fix it just by being like, be fixed. And then however many miles away, she's fixed. I mean, just incredible knowledge and power. Jesus is the son of God. There's no question. But here his miracle's different. Instead of just saying, be healed, which he easily could have done, he does this whole, and you see it, he, he spits, he touches his ears, he puts his hand on his tongue, this whole, all these steps. We know he doesn't need to do it. Why does he do it? Commentaries I read, I don't know. I don't think anybody's 100% sure why he did it. But I think the best guess is, is Jesus' incredible compassion. Do you notice how when Jesus will interact with people, he always interacts with them in a way that is just exactly fitting to what they need? So uh, you think of uh, Mary and Martha, Lazarus dies. Jesus comes to interact with both of them. He interacts with each one of them very differently. Mary just needs him to cry with her, and he cries. Martha needs some good theology to sit on. He gives it to her. It's always like that with Jesus. You see his conversations with the woman at the well. You could go on and on. He, kn he knew 
He knew what Mark's audience needed to hear. He knew what this woman needed to hear. And so they had this incredible theological conversation about who he is as the Christ and how he's going to save the nations. And he also knows, he knows what this man means, well, what this man needs. You think of his issue, right? He's, he's deaf and he, he can't speak in a way that can be understood. So he makes these awkward noises. And you think, and this crowd brings him to Jesus. Don't you love how Jesus um, takes him aside for some privacy? So, so Jesus, he's not just about, hey, spectacle crowd, watch my power. He doesn't heal like that. He, he actually has concern for this man's actual experience of the situation. Let, let's, let's, get out of the, let's get out of the crowd. It's so kind. It's compassion. And then who knows what this man could fully understand or experience, but when Jesus touches his ears, I would imagine he's thinking, he's going to heal my ears <laughs> or something. He touches his he touches his mouth. You see Jesus entering into the place of his brokenness and weakness and connecting to it. And guys, remember, in the context of clean and unclean, a religious, dude doesn't, a, a religious Jew does not do this for a Gentile. He's connecting deeply. And then it says even sighs, which is like a groan. I mean, this guy has been hurting. He has suffered, and Jesus sits there with him and goes, oh, I mean, wow, the compassion of Jesus. And then be opened, be healed, and boom. The man can hear, and the text also tells you he can now speak intelligently. Absolute renewal, total healing. Incredible. Incredible. And it shows you who he is. So here's another thing that I, would, I wouldn't catch this either on a first reading. As you research this text, the Greek word behind our English words, the speech impediment, I won't try to pronounce it because I'd butcher it. Um, the Greek word behind this word for speech impediment is another one of those incredibly rare words. It's just not used very often. And there's one other place in a Greek translation of the Bible ever that this is used. It's used in the New Testament here, and it's used in the Septuagint. So the Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. So you got two places in your Greek Bible where this word is found. So you wanna check that out, right? Huh. Will you read Isaiah 35 where this text is found, and it'll give you chills. Mark is showing us something. Look at Isaiah 35, 1. In Isaiah 34, God is saying, hey, wrath is coming for sin and judgment. It's coming, but also grace and mercy is coming. Isaiah 35, 1, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of where? Lebanon? Shall be given it. Where's Jesus in our text right now? He's in modern day Lebanon. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Verse 3 strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have anxious heart, be strong, fear not. 
Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And what's going to happen? Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf man unstopped. There it is. Then shall the lame man leap for like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. All this gladness, all this singing for the undeserving, for the outcast, because they're beholding the glory of God himself coming to save them in his grace. And Mark is clearly showing you who is the glory of God that comes to save the outsider in his grace. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Mark is saying Isaiah 35 has come true in this story. It's been fulfilled. Jesus, the glory of God, has come to save even among the Gentiles and in the place of, of the desert. Now there's gladness. And in the, did, you, did you hear that one verse? Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. I think this is what the text wants to say to you. If you have a shadow in your heart that says, I'm not good enough to have all of Jesus, this text wants to say to you, there is no human distinction in your life. Anything that has happened to you, who you are, ways you failed, blah, 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 etc. There is nothing in your life that can keep you from having all of Jesus if you put your humble faith in him. He is all about being all for you. He loves your faith in him. And so we see everything Israel received, now the Gentiles are receiving. There's, there's some echoes here you should remember. Do you remember someone else falling at Jesus' feet over his uh, sick daughter? Remember the synagogue ruler? Now it's a Gentile woman falling at Jesus' feet for her sick daughter. What does Jesus do for both of them? He heals them. Or do you remember someone else needing to be touched? Do you remember a leper? Unclean, Jesus came and touched him and spoke his healing and he was healed. And now we have this man, the deaf and the mute man. Jesus comes and touches him and speaks his healing and he's healed. Or even not too long ago, we looked at Jesus feeding thousands of Israelites on the mountain in chapter six. Guess what Jesus is gonna do for Gentiles next week in chapter eight? He's gonna feed Gentiles. All of Jesus for all the people. The one qualification is, have you repented of your sin and will you put your trust in him? Will you put your trust in him? Will you believe in him? So we see our text conclude, the man's ears were open, his tongue released, he spoke plainly. Jesus charged them to tell no one. <laughs> it's another one of those, I don't think that's gonna work, Jesus. <laughs> And of course, the streamline of this is the gospel really will go forth after his death and his resurrection because you can't understand Jesus without his death and his resurrection. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a miracle worker. He's the savior who came to live and die and rise for his people. But we see the Gentiles responding positively to Jesus, which ought to give us great hope. Because as far as I can tell, as far as I know, most of us are Gentiles. Either way, it doesn't matter. If you put your faith in Jesus, you are adopted as a child of God. You are justified. You are made righteous. All of him belongs to you. Isn't that wonderful news?
Let's pray. We'll take our Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the gift of your Son. Lord, I, I want to ask that if anyone here is thinking that they don't fully have your love or your welcome or your embrace based on some human distinction, Lord, that you would conquer that. And that each person would see your, uh, the magnificence of what you call for in repentant faith. Lord, I, I pray that if anybody's here who does not have faith in you, they, they would feel afraid. They would be called to come and repent and trust you and give their lives to you. Uh, there's no salvation apart from faith in you. But Lord, for those who do and have put their faith in you, I pray that we would each be thrilled with your incredible grace and mercy to us, that you are pleased with the faith that you have worked in us, and it is more than enough to get us all of who you are. We are yours, you are ours, by your grace, through faith, alone in Christ, alone. We praise you for this, we bless you for it, and we thank you that we now get to taste and experience the the sign and seal of this reality that as we eat the bread and drink the juice, your life, your death, your resurrection is for us and we are saved. We belong to you. Thank you for these great promises in Jesus' name. Amen.